Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O-Line Media and Sunseeker TV, in association with Carl Anthony Payne Entertainment, present Black Arm of the Law. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome black. I am your host, the one and only Carl Payne. It is Friday, and as always, I'm black. Black first, black always. <laughs> and today's guest, um, let's see, today's guest is a brother from another mother. Peter T. Edge is with us today. Round of applause, everybody, round of applause. Happy Friday, my brother. Okay, now first, let's get started. What, 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 what's in the cup, Peter? What's in the cup? Well, what's in the cup right now? You know, I started out of about four o'clock with a nice, uh, cold uh, Miller Light. You know, to prime the tubes and get ready for the evening. And then uh, I continued the evening with a a nice mixture of uh, Tito's with a splash of cranberry. Okay. So tonight, so, so, so tonight we're going with a little Tito's and cranberry. We got to do a little vodka cran because Tito's ain't paying us yet, so we can't say that. Okay, okay. Well, well we're having a little vodka and cranberry, but to me, you know that that other word is a little little important to the the, the taste buds. Yeah, yes, and we're gonna save that and send this one, send that version, <laughs> that version just to them. Okay. <laughs> Peter, tell us a little bit about your background. Where you from? Oh, boy. Listen, I'm born and raised in New Jersey, uh, born in Montclair, New Jersey, uh, spent my young adult life uh, in New Jersey working in law enforcement, uh, spent some time uh, in college in Massachusetts and came back to finish up school in New York City. But, uh, you know, stumbled into a career in law enforcement because uh, I needed a job. And I kind of had to unlock my mind to the opportunity that presented itself, uh, really on the back of another brother who was blessed enough to be considered to be the first African-American county prosecutor in the state of New Jersey. And, you know, part of his uh, focus was also to take care of young people who look like him. And I was just one of those folks. So uh, ended up working in the Essex County Prosecutor's Office in New Jersey, uh, cutting my teeth as a young detective uh, in primarily in the city of Newark, uh, East Orange, Orange, New Jersey, and uh, spent most of my time working investigations there. But, uh, you know, the, the whole process was wasn't something that I had forecasted for myself as a young African-American male who was interested in a wide variety of things. You know, it was uh, my goal to consider going into something in the math and science realm. Uh, I was fascinated with nature and the ocean and, uh, you know, really wanted to find environmentally safe ways for us to preserve this planet. 
And uh, my goal was to be a marine biologist. Well, far cry from that, getting involved in law enforcement. But, you know, you get to that why in the road and you have to make a decision. And that's what I tell a lot of young brothers and sisters. I said, you know, you have to take advantage of opportunity, even if it hurts, even if it's uncomfortable. And I came from an environment that everybody who worked in that agency looked like me in all different kinds of positions. So that was the mantra constantly. Take advantage of opportunity. And there were a lot of young brothers and sisters who did just that. Awesome. Awesome. Now, how, how long were you with the Bureau? I was with uh, the county prosecutors uh, for uh, 12 years. And then I left there and became, uh, you know, again, that why in the road came. You had to decide, should I stay or should I go? Which way am I going to go? And I decided to put in for a job with the United States Customs Service, a Treasury Department agency that had a law enforcement arm that was is virtually unknown to everyone. You know, border security and its infinite wisdom and the collection of duties and all the the things that come in and out of our country, the U.S. Customs Service touched. And I went there to work at the request of a gentleman in the city of Newark. Uh, my office there, and he said, listen, this will be a good opportunity for you. Go see what's going on out there in other places. And I went to work there, man. I had a phenomenal time. I had fun. I was doing more than just arresting people who look like me. I was in and around organizations from around the world, and I was disrupting and dismantling through my simple, minimal efforts, what I thought were minimal at the time, uh, turned out to be pretty big experiences that made a big difference in, uh, you know, the safety and security of this country. Well, um, well, well stick stick to that. Give, give me an example of what you mean. Give me an example of, of, of one of those things that, you know, someone or you might have thought was a minimal thing, but, you know, had, had a huge impact. So for me, you know, working in, the, in Essex County, in the community, in the hood, you know, you, you were working on these nickel and dime, small dollar amounts. I worked narcotics and right. small dollar, small volume, small dollar amounts. You've seen a lot of violence over a little bit of product. And quite frankly, the people who were who were working those deals weren't making any money. And so I am assigned to a different couple of different federal agencies, one of them being the U.S. Customs Service. And I get there and I see. Wow, on a daily basis, these guys are seizing keys and keys of coke and of heroin. And, you know, there's big, big money to be made. And by the time the money was cut down to the people on the street where I came from, that's nothing. These folks mm -hmm. weren't making anything on the dollar. And the kind of cases that I work were, you know, working at the airport and people coming in off of uh, international flights with a bag full of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and two keys of Coke, you know, you know, sewn in the, the lining of their suitcase. And the customs inspectors would find that and they would call the special agents of which I was a task force officer at the time. And we would go out and we would try to work that backwards. And working that backwards meant going to the uh, other states that were involved, going to the other countries that were involved, and learning how to work with uh, through the investigative process to uh, identifying uh, other people who made a lot more money, who put poorer people 
out there to be the mules. And literally, they were mules. I mean, that word for people who carry drugs across borders around the world is very accurate because these people were mules, man. They were making like a couple dollars on uh, the product that they had with them. And it was yeah, fascinating to me to see that. And they would take the weight. They would take the weight of whatever was coming down. And they would take the weight. They were so desperate that their families would be murdered, maimed, you know, uh, enslaved. And, and, and these are mostly Central American, South American, Hispanic countries. And, uh, you know, it was fascinating to see how these people were so desperate and here I'm looking back into the city, the inner city, and I'm seeing, you know, nickels and dimes and brothers and sisters dying all over the place and not even making enough to survive because they have to continue to sell nickels and dimes worth of money and they're not even making any money. So the whole ch food chain was readily apparent to me from a perspective of having worked on the streets where ultimately our people are trying to eat and then how watching how their people or their countrymen are trying to eat as the mules making a thousand dollars for bringing twenty thousand dollars worth of cocaine in the country you know at the time right and it was just you know do you know what you're doing and they would say yeah you know i'm trying to help my family get some some grain so we can eat I mean, it, it was phenomenal to witness the uh, socioeconomic influences and how people uh, found themselves in these situations where they had to, uh, you know, virtually fight for their lives on all different levels, whether it was in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, you know, Colombia, or Newark, New Jersey. But where do you think you made the most impact? Wow. You know, back then, it was a treadmill, uh, you know, if you asked me back then, I would have said, you know, we're taking drugs off the street. We're, I'm preventing drugs from getting downtown Newark so our people aren't killed. Mm -hmm. But now, if you ask me, at the, you know, after finishing a 32-year career in law enforcement and getting to a pretty high level in the federal government and a very significant law enforcement agency, I would say my value was bringing that different perspective, a little diversity of thought to the whole process based on what I saw as a state and local officer who went to the federal system and got to see and know exactly what was going on. The value I brought to them was my perspective. And young brothers and sisters have a perspective that is unique to anyone in law enforcement. As long as you, no, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, as long as you stick to those those tenets and those principles, you know, you can go to sleep every single night knowing you're trying to make a mark. And listen, it'll change during the, it changed during the course of my career from seizing drugs to being a boss and making sure that uh, everybody in my group was treated fairly and equally, but also you know talking to and trying to mentor those young brothers and sisters who had the opportunity and took advantage of an opportunity that most did not have. All right. Now speak, speak, speak to me a little bit about that. Let's stay, let's stay right here. We right on point. Now you said you, you wanted to make sure that everybody was treated fair. 
right? Mm-hmm. Now, why, why did you feel that necessary? You know what I'm saying? I mean, because because there must have been something happening, something that happened. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Tell me why you felt it was necessary. Because we we all know about the elephant in the room. We, you know, I know what we're talking about. So tell me why you felt it was necessary to make sure that they got treated fairly. It was necessary to make sure that everyone had the same opportunity because everyone has the capability to make a difference. And right. whether you're a male or female, black, white, Asian, I was talking to somebody today. I said, you know, I found the custom service so interesting because when I went there, they just didn't have Asians working as special agents. They had Koreans, Chinese, they had all kinds of Asians, and mm-hmm. they could differentiate them. And everybody had a role. And that broadened your capabilities as an organization and your ability to learn about the criminal element in those cultures because those people lived those cultures. They grew up in those cultures. And that promoted diversity of thought around the table. So as the government, you could work effectively to protect communities, but not just one type of community, not just... uh, a WASP community, mm-hmm. but all communities, African-American communities, Hispanic communities, Asian communities, the Chinatown community, you could understand and effectively protect and provide the same level of service to all of those entities. So to do that, you had to have people on the job from all those areas. And then we had to be locking arms to make sure that we were on the same page mentally. Everybody felt included. Diversity and inclusion is critical to this whole point. You feel included, you feel valued. You feel valued, you're gonna go at your job 100,000 miles an hour. And I'm telling you, people definitely bought into that and appreciated that. Okay, now, now hold on. Okay, now see, now we're getting deep. Now we're getting deep. Uh, uh, Okay, what's interesting, what's interesting is you're working in that capacity, right? Because I've spoke to some of your cohorts and, Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, some of your brethren that worked in a different capacity. Now, I, I can say without a doubt, just, well, first of all, looking in from the outside, but also just having spoke with them, that might not have been the same feeling of camaraderie, might mm-hmm. not have been the same feeling of inclusivity uh, with regards to, you know, what you said and, and what you buy in, buy, <laughs> buy into. Um you know, and, and it's great. I mean, actually, it's great to hear you say that, you know, because obviously if we could apply that to every branch of law enforcement, then maybe, mm-hmm. then just maybe mm-hmm. we would see a difference in how things were plan- panning out or playing out or in our country today, because that is what we are. America mm-hmm. is a cultural melting pot. Okay. But, mm-hmm. but the pot is on fire right now. The pot is boiling over right now. So 
Tell me a story. Tell me a story of how everybody bought into this. Tell, tell, me, tell me a story right now about buying into this cultural melting pot of, of diversity that that is seemingly going to make a difference. And then tell me a story. Why you're telling me that story? Tell me about the one, whether it be on your level or above you at that time, that definitely had a different agenda. Listen, what you have to do, you have to be adept at taking those punches. You have to be willing to be kicked in the head. And I'm going back to when I was a young, brand new agent. After having rose to certain heights in uh, an agency where everybody looked like me, I was a lieutenant of detectives when I became a special agent with the U.S. Customs Service. So I go to customs, and yes, there's a whole level of people who were, were supportive of me who didn't look like me. They're unique. Those are the ones you got to focus on. You got to work hard for so they see that you're going to work hard. So I work my ass off. Right. Then there was a whole crew who wanted to get in the way, kick you in the head. That's the one I want to hear about. That's and with, with with those, and I'm I'm gonna refrain from cursing because I could go on and on and on. Those <laughs> are the ones you had to outsmart. Mm-hmm. And as long as you could figure out a way to outsmart them and not have show any emotion, and you could look them in the eye and do your job and take those kicks in the head, knowing that you have the support of these other group of people. Again, they don't look like you, but they're giving you some sound, credible advice, man. Sound, credible advice. And they're trying to help you because they see something in you that you may not even see in yourself. Or if you do, you better be humble enough to downplay it so they continue to help you. So it's one big fucking game. Excuse my French. Nah, listen, listen, man. It's one big game. And if you can't play the game, it ain't going to work. Because to be able to get to the point where you can implement your agenda and your mindset of diversity of thought and inclusion, what do you have to do? Identify the right people, the right support above you, the right support at your level, the right support below you. Leverage everyone to do that with the same mindset. You're speaking knowledge. You're dropping gems right now. I wish I had a funk flex bomb. Like, I wish I had a, a, a button to go bop, bop, bop. You are Let me tell you, man, it's, it, it, it's a strategic approach, and you have to be a, unfortunately, you have to be a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to suck it up when you want to punch them out. And you got to find a way to deal with it. And if you don't find a way to deal with it, lots of brothers I know didn't make it, man. I made it to retirement. All the brothers you're talking to, most of them, some of them I know, they made it to retirement. You know what an accomplishment that is in that environment? That's a phenomenal accomplishment. And now, for the rest of our lives, we have that you-know-what in our mouth, and we're sucking on it. Listen, brother, you are dropping knowledge. And I, and, and I hope, I hope everyone 
of color out there is paying attention because he told you. He gave you the blueprint. He just gave you the recipe. And that doesn't just apply to what he's talking about. It applies to every aspect, and it definitely mm-hmm. applies to our mission right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, from within, you dig? Mm-hmm. He just gave you the knowledge and the tools and the blueprint, and I've been saying this for so long. I've been saying the only way that we're going to make a difference and make a change, and you're right, and I said, every, even in my business, man, you got to play the game. Unfortunately, as you said, you got to play the game. Yes. So that you can put yourself, but you got to form these alliances and you yes. got to identify. And then that way, mm-hmm. once you get in that position, mm-hmm. <laughs> surprise! Listen, you get in that position and all of a sudden you're like, wow, but you still going to be cool about it. You're going to implement things strategically, smartly, cautiously. Why? Because everybody's now they're looking up at you, looking to shoot you out the tree. Yeah. Ain't nobody shooting me out the tree. Nah. Let me tell you <laughs> something. Let me tell you something. I, you know, I, I pulled together uh, a coalition of good people, black, white, green, purple, you know, all different sexual affiliations and interests. I mean, but they had the right mindset. And you can overcome anything with a coalition of people who have the right mindset. Takes work to find them, but you have to put the work in. Why? Because it's your charge to be that leader. That's your time. My time is done to a certain degree. Now I mentor those who are going through the process. Right. But... You have to have that pull, too. There are people, man, and again, of all these different groups who I call upon, who I was a young cat right out of college, didn't know anything about law enforcement, (laughs) you know. And, man, I call them guys to this day. But it's loyalty, commitment, and that fundamental love for what you do, just like you love what you do. I mean, you should be able to get up every day and enjoy. I tell my kids, you better get up every day and enjoy what you do. But don't forget who you are and where you came from and where your family came from. Man, man, you know, I'm getting chills, man. You are dropping the gems today. You're dropping the gems today. I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, you know the most important thing that you said is, you know, I think, you know, first of all, when people isolate themselves. When you're on an island, you're no good to anybody nor yourself, number one. Oh. Number two, finding and identifying and targeting like-minded individuals. And there's a group of people out there. This, go, this takes us into this next segment that I want to get in with you. Mm-hmm. And we are now talking about the white supremacists. Mm-hmm. That is who we're talking about. We're talking mm-hmm. about these people who are galvanized and who have who have you know, uh, uh, sought out. I mean, you know, it's not hard to find them in this country. <laughs> it's not hard to find mm-hmm. them. But no, just as many sadly. of them, well, well, here's the point I'm trying to make, right? Just as many of them, there should the, the opposite of them should be just as easy to find. You mm-hmm. know, but it's about it's like you said. It's first, it, it's a plan that you got to lay down. 
You got to be organized, right? So according to a report by the Department of Homeland Security, white supremacists present the gravest terror threat to the United States. Mm-hmm. As a Homeland Security expert, what was your reaction to the debate? First of all, you saw the debate, right? You seen this? Yes. Oh, yeah. A travesty. 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 A disgrace. I thought it was hilarious. A disgrace. Let me tell you something. You know, I look at it from this point, Carl. You know, I work for an agency that had a, a international perspective. I talked to you early about my early days with customs, and it was a border security agency. You know, drugs stop at the border. You work it back to other countries. You work with the other countries' law enforcement officials and customs authorities, and you try to stomp out the scourge to protect all families, all children, all people, all of humanity, because all lives matter in the big scheme of the world. So, you know, we find ourselves in a situation now where you have a small group of people in these white supremacists who have been empowered and have taken advantage of all the appropriate rights uh, to uh, acquire things, weapons and otherwise, but legally, legally, taking advantage of their First Amendment rights. You cannot be mad at somebody. I mean, you can do the same thing. Thank you. And I do. And I encourage all my friends to. That was but a, I can right, tell you. That was a message. That was my encouragement to everyone else. That was, you, you missed it. I, I tried to slip it in. Tried to slip it in. Hey, hey I'm, I'm going to clean it up and just go right to the point. Right. I've told many people, take advantage of all your rights. Every single constitutional amendment you can take advantage of. Know the Constitution. A lot of us, oh, laissez-faire, I'm working on Wall Street. I'm making big money. No, 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 no. When you drive down the highway and go through five or six different states, who are you to that state trooper in the car? Right. You're just another black person. They don't care where you work, what kind of dollars you got in your pocket. So don't get on your damn high horse. Get off of the horse and play the game. Outsmart them, dumb dumbs, man. Put me in, coach. Put me in. I'm getting. Oh boy. Amen. So, so this 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 debate, yeah, this so-called debate. I feel like this, man. You know, you know, Donald Trump did what Donald Trump does. You know, he he did what he did. He does what he's been doing. So I don't know why anyone was surprised at this at this at all. You know, he and it was strategic from the beginning. You know, the man is not answered a question coherently in four years. What made you think he was going to be any different? But, but, we we also know he does know right from wrong. We, we do know that when he wants to say and talk about what he wants to talk about, specifically, he will, and, and pull no punches. He is Mr. Twitter Fingers. So, as a Homeland Security expert, what was your reaction to the president's refusal to condemn white supremacists and not not just as a homeland security expert but as a black person thank you let's start let's start there because i'm, yeah, I'm no longer the homeland security expert well, I, mean, I'm a, I want to hear both both from both points okay. of view though. From, from, from a professional perspective mm-hmm. as a homeland security person when you have in, I, I deal in a world i dealt in a world of pure facts And when you have factual information that's provided to you, 
based on analysis, evidence that's acquired by multiple sources, well, you know what? You can't refute that based on your personal opinion. So this dude doesn't read any of those reports, maybe doesn't understand them, and doesn't believe them. So that's not the kind of position that is. You have to sit in that position, then you have to have full faith and confidence in the career people who've been doing that stuff for 30, 40 years. Because all they're doing is their job. And they're presenting the what? The facts. And even if you don't believe the facts, it's your job to answer questions based on the facts that you were provided. And that guy in that position is provided a hell of a lot of facts. More facts than you and I even want to know. More facts. I mean, I used to go to some meetings and say, I don't need to hear this. I'm out. Well, he's already told us. You wouldn't believe some of the things I see. Very scary. Like the stuff that I read. And he does his hands like this. And yeah, he says, it's scary. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you know, you know, it's scary. It's very scary. Yeah, yeah. So that's my professional opinion. My personal opinion is I was repulsed by that. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. 2020. This country was formed and based on a lot of different scenarios, one of whom, one of which was that it's a melting pot, a melting pot for all people. And I don't care how you got here, whether you were brought here on a slave ship and only the strong survive as slaves. We are the strongest of all people. Mm-hmm. And all those who came over on them boats through Ellis Island, they came and they fought and they struggled. And they have a place here. That's what this country is about. So this country should be working together. And again, it goes back to that inclusion, that diversity. You know, listen, it's tough, but the world looks at us as that place. Everybody wants to come here. Right. But the problem is from the beginning, it's like when you went to school. Remember when you were a kid and you went to school and you saw everybody, even if you transferred from a new school to the school and you saw the kid that everybody picked on. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Remember you saw the kid that everybody picked on or that everyone said was stinky, stinky Donald. Don't go sit with him. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. you know, he picks his nose or, his, you know, whatever. Well, it was true or not, you didn't know it, but you also maybe, you know, jumped on that bandwagon too and didn't mess with Donald because that's what everybody said. Don't mess with Donald. And and so unfortunately, the ones who built this country, us, have been put in that position to those before they even got here. They were taught the same thing. Don't mess with them, those guys. So we were already the, the kids that were being picked on. Mm-hmm. So instead of them realizing, hey, we made it possible for you mm-hmm. to even get here. Mm-hmm. We made it possible for you to even be allowed to be here mm-hmm. and, 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 and earn whatever you're earning. Mm-hmm. So you don't thank us, no. You join the bandwagon that's and you right. decide to go, yeah. oh, that's Stinky Donald. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, thank you. I say no, thank you. Listen, it's, no. like I said, it's 2020, man, and we're still talking about this. I was told when I was in high school and getting ready to graduate, you know, life will be different in my professional life. 
And things did progress. You know, ultimately we had Barack Obama as the president of the United States. We had diversity beyond words. And it was unbelievably refreshing to work in. I worked in three transition teams. And it was unbelievable to see the energy when Barack Obama became president. It was the new world. It was a new Talk world, man. It was, it, was, it was coming along like you wouldn't believe. People felt included beyond words. I was, in a, I was living in a temporary apartment in downtown D.C., and the following of people who came from all over who looked like us, who never even went to Washington, D.C., was amazing. It's amazing. And you said, wow, the world has certainly changed. And as just a, a career person in an environment in an agency, ICE, Homeland Security Investigations, that wasn't a particularly popular agency, and traveling around the world, people loved us. They wanted to learn what we did, model themselves after us. I mean, it was just the attention and the respect and consideration was incremental because of what they witnessed happening in this country. And it all came to a screeching halt in 2016. That's what I was getting ready to ask you. What what was the difference? Okay? Oh. You know what I mean? What was the difference? I mean, back in, I think it was 2018, right? You were acting, dep acting the mm -hmm, deputy director, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So, so like, how, how did ICE change under the, that administration versus the old administration? And to answer that first, that's a two-part, right? And okay. how did those I got to write that down. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 there you go. Don't forget to put it like this. Don't forget to do it like this. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. Talk to me about, you know, the difference. You know, what was the change, you know, between uh, administrations? So I'm telling you, the the, the, the previous administration, the Obama administration, pulled brilliant people from all walks of life and experiences. They and inherit to government. There are lots of really smart career people. They had a unique ability to identify enlist, promote, and support those people that had been already in government to enhance their team because they recognized that that team needed this foundation and people, career people like me were the ones who were going to be dispassionate, do their job, stick to the letter of the law, give them a straight answer, and during the transition, when they said yes, we weren't afraid to say no. That was the difference. They embraced that diversity of thought that I said 25, 30 minutes ago. Okay. All of a sudden, you have a campaign, Clinton and, and this dude, and I'm traveling overseas, man, and everybody's laughing. It's a big joke. It's a big joke. And I tell you, I got sick of traveling to the overseas offices that we had because my international counterparts were getting on my nerves. Because they saw 
how what we had, they knew what we had, and they saw that that was going away. So they already began the process of pulling away from our interactions with them. Mm. It was amazing to feel and see and hear. The energy was totally different. Election day comes, it's really different. Mm. You look around, all these 30, 40 year career people, these brains who are gonna present the facts to you for you to figure out how to use, they all start saying, I gotta get out of here. And that was a diverse group. Red, wow. white, black, green. Everybody running to the door. Oh, Everybody. <laughs> Yo, the building is on fire. It was <laughs> on fire. On. And the last man out might get hit by that I-beam, falling down, burning. Wow. That's... That's very telling. It was absolutely insane. Wow. Couldn't get out fast enough. So, all right. So then, so then is that what happened? Because there was an article in Newsweek that said you were sidelined by the administration and then quietly retired. As I question. I, I, I love that. I love that. Because those idiots never talked to me. They never right. talked so, to I, me. Not, now they didn't know me. They but saw my black thing. ass, and they, and they they would walk away. I ain't stealing their lunch, right? But I see right through them, right? But right? now's your chance. That's why. That's why I'm here. Now and I'm here. right now, what you want? What What's next? But for me, it was time to go because when I did my 12 years in the in the New Jersey system of law enforcement, wonderful experience. When I became a federal agent at the age of 33. And you can't become an agent at the age of by the age of thirty-seven. First I I had always planned on doing twenty years and getting out. I did twenty years in five months. So it just so happened that it happened to be at this time, and everybody's looking for excuses. And that's what happens. And one thing Trump is right about: there's a lot of fake news out there. There's a lot of fake news, a lot of speculation, a lot of assumptions. And you know what assume means? Take a donkey out of you and me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But yeah, it, it was it was phenomenal to sit back and watch. You know, you ever have the rug pulled out from underneath you? So basically, you you got caught up in that. You were in the middle of that. Oh, absolutely! It became survival mode. I don't want to be painted with that. Right. Because that stinks. That now you and Stinky Donald are friends. Negative. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my god! This, you know what? This is so refreshing, my brother. This is so. Once again, if you're just tuning in, uh, this is the black arm of the law, where we uh, talk about. Everything under the sun, both sides. We hear it from uh, the perspective of those who worked in law enforcement who were black or brown um, and get their side of the story and their perspective on on the, the, the relationship between law enforcement and your average citizens and, and basically talk about everything that's going on here in America today. Um, we are in the moment 
that some would call the United States a racial reckoning. But police brutality against black folks is as American as apple pie. So in your opinion, what will it take to make real change for our community as well as law enforcement agencies? Real change is going to only take place when there's reform. So law enforcement is going to have to adopt some of the philosophies that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, it's going to be more the same. You can't keep hiring the same kind of people. You have to have a diversified workforce and you have to have different mentalities, which results in diversity of thought. You have to have leadership that has a fundamental perspective on taking care of all people while adhering to the letter of the law. The problem in the agency that I came from is that the laws, the immigration laws, are so antiquated that Congress has not done their job in changing the laws to meet the requirements of immigrants here in, the, in 2020. Until they do, the men and women of ICE, Enforcement and Removal Operations and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, are going to continue to execute the laws that are on the books. Mm -hmm. Those laws are antiquated. They Mm -hmm. need to be refined. Reform is necessary in a multitude of areas, whether it's state and local law enforcement, training, hiring, Everything, everything that we're not, we're seeing ripped apart right now. You just probably heard a report about this administration saying that they don't want any type of sensitivity training. What? If we don't have sensitivity training and a little bit of history thrown in there, we're doomed to repeat it. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So what is it going to take to get these laws changed or reformed? I mean, educate some people out there as to how they can go about doing that. On what level does it start? On a practical level, it starts at your local community. It starts having these discussions. It starts by a letter writing campaign to the representatives who are in the House of Representatives and who are in the U.S. Senate and who are in your state House of Representatives and your state Senate. You've got to send the same letters all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it has to be like waves hitting the beach over and over again. And it just can't be for six months. It's got to be constant. If you're committed to it, don't just say Black Lives Matters now because you ain't got nothing to do because you bored at home with coronavirus or lockdown. That's your excuse to get out. Right. No, you better do that all the time. And that's the message that I send to all the white counterparts out there who all of a sudden mm-hmm. want to now join this movement or act like, I don't know, some of my best friends are black. But <laughs> what is your investment? What is your stake in the game? What is your level of commitment? Because, and I, and, and I say this to, to, to a lot of my black brothers and sisters out there too, what's your level of commitment? Don't just march tomorrow. Marching mm-hmm. ain't going to get it. 
Marching ain't gonna get it done. Mm-mm. And marching ain't gonna get it done. Listen, you know, marching you... is a simple piece of this. And as a parent of three, I say this all the time. Yeah, it's important to march, but you better get home and you better get them good grades so you can be competitive. You have to be able to adapt and adjust. And you have to have a heart of a lion, not a red flame in your chest, a blue flame. And if you took chemistry, you know that blue flame is hot as hell. It's all about economic power, but it's also about personal connectivity with other people. Because a lot of those white people you're talking about who are all into Black Lives Matters, they will help. They just don't know how to help. And one of the things that we have a hard time doing is asking for help. And if you don't ask for help, nobody can help you. So if there's a fine line, you know what I mean? Yes. Fine line. Oh, I know and, what you mean. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. And hopefully mm-hmm. our, our listeners mm-hmm. out there understand exactly what you mean, too. And uh, if they don't, they can reach out. We'll, we'll. There's plenty of mentors out there, plenty of people who've experienced a lot of things that are willing to help. And that's my role now. That's my commitment to our community and to the community of those who are less, less uh, who were disenfranchised. And as I say to my kids, I said, it's your time now. You better work your ass off and you better get to moving and don't forget who you are, where you came from. I'm here to support you and to give you advice and counsel. Let me ask you a question because you're right here on this vein that we're talking about right now. And early on, you said early on in our our, our discussion, you said that someone, and I think it was a a representative, right, took you under his wing or, or provided an opportunity for you. Is that correct? Right. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, that's that correct. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Have you have you been able to do that for someone already? And, 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 and if so, tell me that success story. Tell me how you were able to to pay that forward to someone. So I'll give I'll give you a, 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 a example that I'm most proud of. And this yes. is a recent example. Yes, please. When I first I was uh, transferred back to Washington, D.C. from New Jersey, where I ran a field office in 2011 and i was uh promoted to the position of the number two in homeland security investigations and when i got back to washington there were a lot of people who said oh you know pete's at the top right now he's not going to help anybody well they didn't know me had no idea who i was and it was a situation where I was in a, uh, I was one of two members of the senior executive service (SES) position in Homeland Security investigations, and there were a lot of talented people in HSI who looked like me, who just didn't have that mentor that I had, who coached me along the way. So what did I start doing? I started having these little brown bag lunch. I started meeting people in the cafeteria every day. Start out with one person, two, three, four, five, six, seven, to include two sisters. And one of the most proud things that I can talk about is that, and even some who they took under their wing during my watch, 
that were promoted to the that highest level career position as members of the senior executive service. And one of them just retired yesterday. And he said, you know, there are very few people in my career who really went out of their way for me and who I truly appreciate. He said, but you're one of them. And this young brother who is going to be moving on to uh, greener pastures in the private sector, and he took care of each one, take care of two people, man. That was on my only mandate. So there were two members of the senior executive service when I became a member of the senior executive service. And the brother who was older than me made sure I was coached effectively. And then it was my charge to get these other seven on board in the agency. So each one teach one. That's each one teaching one and working with one. And that's still your network. And that's my network. That's my network and that's my mantra. I tell my son's a second lieutenant United States Army. I'm like, listen, boy, you better do the same thing. When you are leading these people and he will be in situations that I've never been in, but mm -hmm. you better make sure that you set the example and you not only lead, give tough love but nurture it's critical that we all do more than just our job carl would i have liked to have had lunch every day by myself hell yeah who read the paper and everything else yeah but no i had to coach these guys i had to give i had to listen to their problems and give them advice and counsel man i don't even remember eating my lunch during those lunches right but that was important man right that was important. And listen, you know, the group wasn't just people who looked like me either. They were just good people of all races. I mean, the group grew to my dearest of friends and colleagues, some of whom didn't look like me, but just were wonderful people, man. Mm -hmm. So you cannot be blinded by just the color or anything else. Listen, that's damn important. I mean, we want to get our numbers up. We want to get opportunity. We have talented people who just aren't getting an opportunity. But we can't do that to the exclusion of not taking care of that bigger picture of diversity and inclusion, which is so important. So, and not just important to the United States, but important to our interaction with other places around the world. Right. You know, I've been all over the world, man. I go to places and they're like, I go over there with my deputy, and they're like, hey, you're Peter Edge? He's like, no, that's Peter Edge right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, uh, it was an enlightening 20 and a half years for me in the federal government and 12 years in law enforcement where I could really cut my teeth. Before we go, any, any final thoughts, any final words, uh, any final uh words of advice, encouragement, um, you know, inspiration to our people out there. So I will say, you know, as inspiration to our people out there, stay the course, focus, be stronger than the next person. And, you know, like they say, we shall overcome. We're going to get through it. But embrace everything that comes your way. Understand it. Take advantage of all of your rights 
know what your rights are and go through the proper channels to make sure that you're taking advantage of everything. That's the advice. And then I'm just blessed to have this forum to be with brothers like you and the team that's around you to be able to have these types of conversations because it's very important. We have a whole generation out there that needs some mentoring, some leadership, and some guidance. It's about communication, my brother, and it's about that network. I'm super happy that you and I are part of the same network now. Yes, sir. Amen. Information and continuing to spread, spread that, uh, increase those numbers and increase that network. Exactly. Use that bridge. Final thoughts from Carl Payne. You know, my grandmama say, she used to say all the time, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. My mother, you know, she always said to me, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, you know, that being said, unfortunately, only applies to racism, hatred, and the violence that we've been witnessing this year and every other year that I've been alive. It's not new. Mm-hmm. What is new, though, is that technology has given us a new tool to make our voices heard and, and, and to share information, such as this platform right here, such as the cell phone, such as video. Um, it's important that we all use our voice in whatever shape, fashion, or form. Use our voice. Stop fret- and, and, and stop spreading false information. Because the most important thing is to be a part of the solution, not the problem. And on that note, that concludes another episode of Black Arm of the Law. I'm the one and only Carl Payne, special guest Peter T. Edge. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Black Arm of the Law is hosted by Carl Payne. Produced by Ken Johnson, Bart Phillips, and Carl Payne. Assistant producer, Lauren Turner. Consulting producers, FBI Special Agent Retired Don Taylor and FBI Special Agent Retired George Graves. Edited by Rick Chill. Theme music by Jeff Red, courtesy of Soul Real Records. Executive producers, Ken Johnson and Bart Phillips. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Arm of the Law is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.